verse 9, 10, 11. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. That is the word of the Lord. Let us come before the Lord in prayer. Our loving and gracious Father, Well, this evening we're going to have a look at what are the consequences of having a faith in the first place. Because there are consequences. If we are serious about looking at the Bible and seeing what it tells us, we will also readily accept that our lives do have consequences. Even the fact that we are born, that carries with a consequence. You will die. There is a consequence for being born. But at the same time, we also make decisions that inevitably will have an effect on the relationship that we have, both with our family and friends and indeed the community around us. It's highly likely that there's probably nothing that will make a bigger difference in our lives and have more consequences than the, uh, making a wholehearted commitment to serve the Lord because of what he has done for us. Just the fact that we come out as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today's passage will indeed speak and have a clear statement to that effect. So let us pray and let us hear what that is all about. Our Lord, we ask that you will open our hearts and our minds tonight, that we may understand what these three verses are telling us, what the world is, what we are, what we should be, and who Jesus is. We pray that that will be clear for us at the end of this evening. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, over the past three years in this time of history, Jesus has performed well over 30 miracles. And in most cases, he leaves behind the evidence of having made those miracles. He has, uh, he has healed people. He has given people sight. He has given people ability to walk again. Uh, he has removed evil spirits from people. And the list goes on and on. And when you think of all the miracles and the evidence left behind, I guess there's only one miracle that have left no evidence for us. And that's the wine at the wedding, the very first miracle. I don't believe there's any of that wine left by now. But we also see clearly that the anger of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the entire temple leadership, over this time, their anger is growing stronger and stronger each year as it goes by. We even arrive at the situation where we had in John 11.50, where Caiaphas, the, the temple leader, tells his co-leaders, do you not realize that it is better for you that one man dies for the people than the whole nation perish? Of course, we know that's a biblical truth because that is what God had forced on. He had sent his son to be the one that dies for all our sins. But I don't believe the temple leaders understood that part of it. They just kind of had this idea planted in their heads 
that there had to be one guy to pay the price for all of them. But in this short time, of course, that we're talking about here, things really tend to pick up a bit. Now we have reached a point where it's no longer enough to kill one. We now need to kill a couple of people that are causing some trouble. As we read in verse 9, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. They have, in their so-called wisdom, concluded that they need to bury some of the evidence of Jesus and his miracles. They need to get rid of Lazarus. If this information of the decision made by the temple leaders that they need to clear out all this evidence of faith and a follower of Jesus, then there would be some seriously nervous disciples walking around the place. There's 12 of them. And they know they're on the hit list. They indeed would be next. It's a human thing, however, to want to bury evidence. And people have done this over all times. Without evidence, they say you can't get a conviction. You have to have the evidence for that. Lack of evidence will always leave people with this lingering doubt in their mind. And of course, that's what the law says. It has to be proven. Otherwise, there's some doubt you can't convict. And it's the same sort of doubt that was placed in people's minds. Satan used that with Eve right back in the Garden of Eden. Satan says to her, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That started the problem. And next he says, you will surely not die. That for furthermore planted this evidence of doubt in Eve's mind. So here we are today. Now we're burdened with her sin. All of us are. The temple leaders, I don't think, had given enough thought to this problem. Their aim had been to eradicate any thought of Jesus even being the Son of God and, of course, any of the powers that he had from the heavens. They wanted to eradicate it. It's a bit like back in the state when the United States and Russia in the 50s and 60s, they were at each other's throat. They really had a bad time. It was the Cold War, and the aim was for the Western world that wanted to eradicate communism. That was a fool's dream. You can't eradicate an ideology. It is a thought. To eradicate Christianity, however, it will also take that you have to kill all Christians. The problem with that, even if they manage to kill all current Christians, is they're forgetting the people that are doing it. They're actually just sending us home. They're doing us a favor. And of course, if that should happen, God will call more people. It's never ending. But back to Jesus and Lazarus. These two guys are on the top of the temple hit list. They want them gone. But there's more. What are the temple leaders, if you think in those terms, what are they going to do about the widow's son that we read about in Luke 7? When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, Don't cry. He went up and touched the man's coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. There's a man raised from the dead. And then we have Jairus' daughter in Luke 8. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the household of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people outside were wailing and mourning for her, and Jesus said, Stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. And her spirit returned at once she stood up, and Jesus told them to give her something to eat. So here we have a girl, raised from the dead. But neither of these two events caused such a commotion as what had the raising of Lazarus. And then what are they to do in a week's time? We know that Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be put in a tomb. He's going to come out. But at the time of death on the cross, there's a whole lot of saints that are raised from the dead and coming out of their tombs. What are the temple leaders going to do about all of that? It's just not going to stop, is it? But these guys are supposedly servants of the God Most High. The leaders should have known this was just a futile. They were fighting God, the Creator. But see, they weren't true servants, were they? And they really had really no idea of what they were doing and how they were doing it. Cameron told us the other Sunday that even though they're compelling evidence, that evidence can be understood by some, and yet others will totally reject it out of hand. The evidence of Jesus, we know, can only be ever fully understood that if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you to reveal Jesus to you and God. I know this is a lot of information we have at this point in time, but what do we learn? What do we actually get from all this? Well, for starters, we learn that Lazarus has become an irresistible attraction to the people around. They want to see him. After having been raised from the dead by Jesus, people were now coming all the way from Jerusalem and around the countryside. They're coming to Bethany, certainly to see Jesus, but they're coming in mainly to see Lazarus because he is the evidence of the power of Jesus and God through Jesus. In today's terms, Lazarus would be probably looked at as an influencer in the world around him or a star or VIP or whatever else they call them these days. Everything that has happened and what is to come over the next week will simply just serve to build the tension in the community and the emotions of the people that are watching and seeing all this happening. But let us then ask the obvious question. Based on the premise that people will travel distances to be with attractive people, and when I say attractive, I'm not speaking of an appearance in terms of that, but I'm talking about character and grace. And Lazarus was, of course, a man of character, and he was full of grace. And he had been raised by Jesus. There was a whole lot of things about him that was attractive. I wonder sometimes when you look at that, I wonder about myself. Does my behavior 
reflect the grace of God, the love of God? Does the way I live, does that make people want to join me? Well, maybe not, but it is what we should all strive to do, isn't it? Live a life that really is worthy of being people looking at you. They want to be with you. If we are sharing the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, they should want to be here to hear more about that. Live a life that really honours the Lord and that in turn will attract people to join us in worship. That is part of our purpose. Just as Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, he also called you and I, raised us from our death and gave us now new life. See, the truth is we were just as dead as what Lazarus was before he called us. So how do you and I then become irresistibly attractive as with Lazarus? Well, we can't find anywhere in a Bible that tells us that Lazarus was a beautiful man. But he was with Jesus. And Jesus loved him and he loved Jesus. And it was plain for all to see. We even have John writing about that in 1136. The Jews said, see how he loved him. It is so evident that Jesus loved Lazarus. And when the people came to see Jesus, they would also see Lazarus. And when they came to see Lazarus, they would see Jesus. The two of them are together. And that's how we also become attractive. We are seen with Jesus. We are to be the reflection of Jesus. That is our lives. I used some time back in a sermon, I used the analogy that Jesus is the light like the sun. He is so bright. He's got the truth shining. And we should be, each one of us, should be the moon that reflects the, the, the strength of the sun. Not some half moon or something. We should be a full moon that really reflects who Jesus is. So those were the two things maybe we learn about Lazarus. By association with Jesus, he is attractive. People want to see him because of what happened to him, because of his relationship with Jesus. And he is seen with Jesus because he is alive. And when you and I add two together, the fact that he is alive and he is with Jesus, you'll also find then that Lazarus is actually courageous. That gives him courage for being who he is. The people that are closest to Jesus had a certain understanding that maybe walking with him and being in the public with him and seen with him, being a follower of him, certainly brings an amount of dangers with it. We know that for certain. It tells us so in verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. They didn't kill Lazarus because he was a terrorist. They killed him because he was a good man. He was with Jesus. They often use the term these days that they implemented what they, we now call a, a cancel culture. They wanted to cancel Jesus. They wanted to cancel everything that had to do with it. Everything that had to do with Christ and his ministry. The world we live in today, we are now speaking of evil Christians. They look at us and they speak of us as bigots as haters, racist, Islamophobes, and the list goes on and on. We are really bad people. 
We are, by their standards, not even welcome and allowed in to be heard in the public square. They don't want to hear from us. We have nothing to add. The time has arrived when Christian values are perceived as outright evil. We are against same-sex marriage. We are against all those things that makes us evil. And everything we hold dear, they say, is against human rights. Yes, Lazarus and the disciples had to have great courage walking with Jesus and being willing to submit to that. And you and I will, for the same reason, need to be close to Jesus. Things are getting worse in the world that we live in today. And what Lazarus and disciples were, we need to sit at the feet of Jesus, just like Mary used to do. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, listened intently and learned. We need to do the same. We need to trust him. We need to trust him with all of our life and serve him. Serve him because we have a true love for him because of what he has done for us. There are and there always will be consequences if that's the case. If you go out in the public and state there publicly that you love the Lord Jesus, you state publicly that you trust him with your life and that you are going to live a life that will honour him in all that he is and you will want to be obedient to his commands. If you state that in the public domain, that means you will be willing to risk your comfort You will risk your life and safety in order to serve him fearlessly. And then maybe we can then deal with the old adage we always use also, the whiffum. What is it for me? Well, obviously, we can restate it quite obvious from that. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's all about what you are able to do for him because of what he has already done and what he will be continue to do in you even if we none of us deserve it any way at all. But on the positive side of that question we can also be what Lazarus was to some. See each one of us can be a blessing to others the way Lazarus was. By being and living the life of a true Christian people around us will see Jesus. We are reflecting him. Some of the people seeing it will like it and they will like you for it. And some will hate it and they will hate you for it. Remember what Jesus told us in Matthew 10.22. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Whenever we share a biblical truth with someone and we give them a Bible to read, They will give them the ability to then find that passage, that Bible verse, and read it, and read what we have told them. And you may, through that, you are part of his ministry to the world, a part of guiding of his spirit and bringing other sinners home. To that person, you will be attractive. If you have been part of his walk to find Christ... He will like you. How often should I be sharing my faith, you might ask? How often should I share it in public? How often should I praise the Lord in public? And then, of course, comes the question, uh, is my life a public statement of who I am in him? To find out what people need and to arrive at an understanding of who Jesus is, 
we then also must be willing to just stop silently and listen to the people. Just as some took the time to spend with us when we needed it. There's no doubt in your life before you became a Christian and converted, probably someone sat there and listened and gave you something. Daniel in the, in the Bible was never afraid of death. He kept doing what was right. John the Baptist had no fear. Peter and John showed no fear either, as Jesus had already ascended into heaven. Paul was a man of great courage and conviction and had a great commitment to the Lord. See, we see these men of the Bible, we have come to a decision. Do you want to play it safe? And keep this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, you want to keep that to yourself and just fly under the radar of those that hate the Lord. That way you're not going to get persecuted. You can, on the other hand, you can also say, well, I'm ready for the consequences. And you're ready to share and put a public statement out like Lazarus did. He is there. He had Jesus in his home. Isn't that people came to see them? And they saw Lazarus, but they saw Jesus through him. Isn't that what we should be? That's what today's passage to me says. We need to be more like them and serve him with our whole of life. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we thank you for the words that we have today, for the clear message that comes from having Jesus and Lazarus side by side, that together they make, they make a sense of all the things that are happening around them, and it brings people to ask the question, who is Jesus? Lord, may we be the same. May we be the, the, uh, the moment in someone's life where they say, well, if he is like that, then I want to be like that too. I want to have what they have. And may we indeed live a life that truly means that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.